Welcome to Rugged Theology, where we talk about church planting, theology, and drink coffee. Welcome to another episode of Rugged Theology. I'm Adam Diamond. I am a church planter candidate with Malwin Mission. Over to my right, we have... I'm Steve Daw. I'm the Director of Education for Mile One Mission. And I'm Matt Leahy. I'm a church planter with Mile One Mission. And my name is David Drover. I'm a ministry intern at Mile One. Welcome, guys. So, um, it's been a while since we've had a theology podcast, so I'm looking forward to getting getting into this one. Yes. And uh, we picked a very you know, simple, light-hearted topic for today. We're going to talk about the cross. And that's the kind of silence I want to hear because it is, yeah, definitely one something that we definitely need to talk about and get right. Um, so, guys, just starting off with the cross, like what? Let's just do a, a basic intro for people. Maybe people don't really know much about it or they assume things about it. But let's just talk about first, like what happened on the cross? Why is the cross so central to Christianity? Well, I think even before we deal with uh, the centrality of the cross. I, I think it's important to even just deal with the basic thing, the basic elephant in the room when it comes to the cross. The cross is a first century torture and execution device. So it's, mm. it, it's important that we recognize that it is meant to be a painful, embarrassing, dehumanizing death pr- uh, done by a state to people they really, 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 really don't like. Um, yeah, it wasn't. We, it wasn't really a pleasant experience. It's not like you know Jesus went to a slumber party or something and had a no. pillow fight. Basically, if a group of experts try to think of the the worst way to kill somebody, or I guess in some ways the best way to kill somebody to make it the most painful and the most terrible. Yeah, and it's even even more than that. Like when when people were crucified in the first century, more times than not they were naked. They were mm-hmm. completely naked before the before the crowd that was watching them. And I know that kind of, you know, you don't tend to think about that with our Savior, but it was a shameful thing to be yeah. stuck on a cross. And and then even more than that, like, you know, when you look at scenes of crucifixion, it's usually, you know, Jesus and the, and the, and the two thieves on either side elevated, you know, who knows how high above the crowds. But in reality, they were probably at eye level with everyone who walked by and, yeah. That's what makes it more confronting because you're not just removed from it. You're at eye level of this naked dude who's, you know, bleeding from head to toe, who's been pulverized. And Yeah, and I mean, even today when we use the word excruciating, when we refer to pain or mm-hmm. trouble, I mean, it's from excrucis, of the, from the cross. Mm. It was so bad that, you know, they had to describe it that way. You had to come up with basically a new word to describe it. I mean, it was even taboo. To, you wouldn't even think about someone who was crucified. It wasn't like it was this, hey, someone's still being crucified. Let's all go watch. It was yeah. It was a horrible event. Not unless you were a very, very sadistic person, generally. Mm-hmm. And, of course, uh, it, was, it was so bad that even in the early church, when it came to the crucifix as a, a symbol of Christianity, the crucifix wasn't that early in the church because most people knew what a cross was. They wouldn't put 
anybody on that. And they, nobody would walk around with the, that kind of thing around their neck, for goodness sakes. And even as tradition goes, like Peter, right? He was, he didn't find himself worthy to be, you know, killed in the same manner as, as Jesus was. So he was crucified upside down, tra- yeah. as tradition goes. Right? Yeah, and I mean, it's it's funny too, because uh, there's a, up in Shea Heights, there's a church called St. Peter's on the Rock. And one of the things that you see on the symbol on the on the wall is the cross of Saint Peter, which, you know, in popular culture we we associate with uh, Satanism. The demonic and it's yeah. it's an upside down cross, but you know because that's the cross of Saint Peter. But all of this is just important to re- recognize before we talk about the importance of the cross for Christianity, because, I mean, you find crosses everywhere nowadays, and that would be strange, <laughs> based on what a cross actually was absolutely like for now i mean I, this is a really weird story in the sense that uh i was in a uh, a rossi store mm-hmm. um and it's basically like a department store like a very cheap department store for anyone that's listening you don't know what it is and i'm so glad you said a rossi store not ar rossi because it's not ar rossi i had this conversation uh, over this weekend See, the way the symbol looks, it looks yeah. like it's A.R. Rossi. But oh, it's okay, not, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not A.R. Rossi. It's Rossi. It's Rossi. And it's not like Rossi's or Rosses in the States. It's, it's no. different than Rosses. Yeah. Um, anyway, coming back. <laughs> <laughs> a little squirrel moment. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so he was getting checked in. and just, just overheard this conversation. And someone asked him about this cross. And if he went to church, and he's like, well, boy, do I have to, be a, do I have to go to church to wear a cross? I just likes it. And I was like, that's very interesting considering you know what that cross stands for which we'll get into later mm. uh but you know you're 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 literally we're wearing the symbol of human torture yeah around your neck and you like it it's well, like imagine wearing like a guillotine or like no pun intended like a guillotine around your neck right or <laughs> <laughs> i totally didn't mean that <laughs> that's amazing though but yeah, no, it's, it's, that's a fair point because it's basically the same thing. We would be more associated with the guillotine with death than the cross. Right now, mm. the cross is basically just seen as a religious symbol, and that's it, and people don't right. put much thought into that. Well, I don't. I, I think the Romans uh, said that they would not do any more crucifixions after, uh, I think it was the second half of the first century. Like, they don't do these anymore because they were considered very... Uh, to extremes. So, mm. I mean, yeah, it's not surprising. It's been like 1900 years since crosses have been acceptable forms of uh, execution. Execution, yeah. All right, guys. So that's the history. So, like, what what happened on the cross that we just specific cross we're talking about? The one that Jesus was on. So, what what took place on this cross that's so significant? Well, I mean, I I could just quote the Bible verse on it. Um, how dare you quote the Bible here, sir? Well, I mean, you know, it just says it pretty directly in Galatians. <laughs> uh, but far be it for me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. I mean, that's kind of the central issue. It It's something that Christians find important. Like, Yeah, know, and like I... Um, I preach my first sermon at Calvary. Actually, I preach from First Corinthians, mm-hmm. and you know how it's the foolishness of God. You know it's, uh, and you know we just talked about the history of the cross and how it was so brutal and violent, 
and you, know, you wouldn't even you wouldn't even dare think about a crucifixion. It was so taboo, but yet Christians would believe that their, you know, the Son of God was on the cross. He he was in that position, that vile, mm-hmm. horrible position, and you know it seems conflicting that you know your God would be in such a humiliating, horrible position and. You know, Paul writes in First Corinthians, he says, For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. And uh, earlier in that, he says, you know, We preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews, and folly or foolishness to Gentiles. Uh, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. Yeah, so extreme that we would even boast in it. And he, he's very straightforward. Now, this is seen as a stumbling block. People stumble over this, but it's also seen as foolishness. Like he, he doesn't hide the fact that yes, this sounds ridiculous to some people, and to others, it's so hard to grasp that you could dare believe that God would humble Himself to the point of being crucified on the cross. Yeah, and I think that gets us into the theology question. Really, um, why is it so important for us to talk about the cross? I'm gonna throw in our lovely maybe this podcast theological phrase and probably one of your favorites i would think oh it definitely is penal substitution oh wow going you're just going right there <laughs> yeah well i mean we're going to talk about the theological significance i think well and, and it is important, important. So you explain to us what penal substitutionary atonement is yes well i will uh i'll give a very simplistic i guess kind of baseline way of thinking about it the way i always explain it to people when i drop the word is you think of penal as in kind of penalty, mm-hmm. um, and then substitution as substitution. So the idea is that Jesus on the cross, he paid the penalty um, for our sin that we deserved. So it was penal, he paid the penalty, mm-hmm. and substitution in our place. Mm-hmm. So he paid the penalty that we deserved for mm-hmm. us. Yeah, and you're, lo- you're missing one word there, because it's usually called atonement. Atonement, yeah. And so why did he pay for the pay the penalty that we deserved? So atonement, like he he had to atone for our sins for what we couldn't pay up. We we couldn't we we sin and we can't pay that penalty. Right. It's so great that we we could never do it in our lifetime. I mean, okay, but who required this penalty of us? God Himself. Okay. That's a big one. Here's where things get interesting. <laughs> bum, bum, bum. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> so what we're saying is that God required a penalty of us. What For what? So sin separates us from the Father. Nothing. The Father is holy and righteous and good, and there can be no sin within the Father's presence. Right. Uh, so therefore, for us sinning, it's a sin against a holy and just God who is eternal. Yeah. We're not just like, I know I could sin against you know, Matt over there. Um, and that wouldn't be a big deal. It, it wouldn't be a huge deal. I'd probably do that every day. Like, <laughs> but Jesus died for it. so Yeah, no, he, he died for it. I'm, I'm forgiven. <laughs> no, Matt will forgive me eventually. But uh, no, but so like take that and then you put it over the sense of eternity. How can I ever pay up to doing a wrong? to an eternal being and one that is wholly just and wholly righteous and wholly good. And, and just to throw in there too, I mean, I think, I mean, we could have a whole podcast probably on what sin is. Absolutely. Essentially it, what is opposed to God. Yeah. Um, so it's, 
yeah, it's not just simply, you know, doing X, Y, or Z because of, I don't know, like eating ice cream's a sin or something. You know, people say that phrase, like it doesn't mean anything, but basically oh, anything that's, that's opposed sin to God. Boy. Yeah, exactly. That's a sin that's for a you. Sin. But yes, anything that is opposed to God that, you know. Yeah. And so like we can't earn back that, that which we lost. You know, we're, we are sinful beings. We just, there's not one of us that can go a single day without screwing something up royally. And, and the reason God cares about sin is because he's just. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? I mean, to put it in, I, I guess, in, in somewhat of our context, I mean, if there's, if somebody murders somebody else, mm-hmm. the average person thinks there needs to be justice that happens and that per- the murderer needs to pay some kind of a punishment for yeah. their wrongdoing. It's no different for us. It's our sin against God. We deserve to pay or something has to be done mm-hmm. in order to have justice for that sin. And, of course, it's worse than what you think about. I mean, I can remember a couple of different uh, religion uh, groups from when I've had debates with people talking about how, uh, why couldn't God, I mean, he's all loving and he's all merciful and he's all powerful. Why couldn't he just, you know, forgive your sin? I mean, I can forgive sin. Uh, I can forget. I mean, if I wrong Matt over here, Matt could just, you know, forgive me. Uh, and no offense, Matt, but Matt is not better than God. But why does why can Matt forgive me without, uh, without you know, murdering uh, murdering Jesus? And God has to. And I mean, people will use those terms. Now, I'm, I'm being pejorative here. I mean, there's a whole lot of things to unpack in what I just said. Mm-hmm. But you know that's that's what you you run into. How would you deal with that? Like, I can remember uh, I came across a blog when I was like a teenager, and it was basically it was close to the same thing. And uh, it was basically this person claiming that um, they didn't like the cross because of the bloodshed, and no, they could have their salvation, they could have their Christianity without you know without the blood, without the torture. And I couldn't help but like try and comment i think it was one of the only things i ever commented on like on someone's like public blog and it was just like you look through the whole whole old testament and there's always a a, nece- a requirement of blood like a life had to be given it was at leviticus i think for sin to be you know for, for a life had to be given for sin to be forgiven and it just says shows the seriousness of sin like if you say that we don't need blood, we don't need that sacrifice, and you're undoing, you're trying to diminish the sheer evil and, like, the repercussions of your sin against a holy and just God. Yeah. And, and you're diminishing that. And you're saying, you're basically saying to, to the wrong party, to God, no, you're wrong. What I did is not as bad as what you say it is. And another response... I would have to that kind of idea, that question of, well, why can't God just, I mean, essentially it's why can't God just forgive or kind of sweep it all under the rug as if it's all okay, because God loves us. Mm-hmm. That's kind of the idea that's, that's undergirding that question. The problem with that is if, if God is simply just going to sweep everything under the rug, um, and I'll follow this up why I think this, but that essentially means that God is evil. Um, or to some capacity, because if God is capable or he just wants to sweep it under the rug and almost forget about it, 
then there has to be some degree where God is okay with the wrongdoing. Yeah. There's some degree where God is okay with the sin that he's not necessarily even for it, but he's okay with it. Or at least that the love for us trumps any real evil in the sin as if the sin wasn't really evil. Mm -hmm. And I mean, we, 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 we can talk about it in the abstract, but I mean, let's talk about it in the concrete for a little bit. I mean, if we talk about, say, for example, the Holocaust, or, uh, I don't know, any major evil that we can think of, what would we say about anybody who said, oh, that's, th- I, I know you murdered 12 million Jews, but that's okay. Like, I love you enough to forgive you. I love you enough to forgive you for the murder of 12 million Jews. That would be insane. But not only that. So and there's, evil. There's another thing, too, that's that with all of this is even if somebody were to say, you know what, I'm going to forgive all those people because I love them. There was still a price that was paid for all that sin. Yeah. Those millions of people, you know, still suffered and lots died. Yeah. Just because it's in quotation marks forgiven doesn't mean that there's no penalty being, or there's no price or, um, I guess. There is, there is still a price involved. It's just, the question is who's going to pay it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, you know, what Christians say happened on the cross is that a price was paid so that we could all be restored to right relationship with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, you have to think about it. If if all of our sin was paid for those that would place our faith in Christ, that's a whole lot of sin. It is. Mm-hmm. I mean, we would essentially have to, yeah, yeah, that's just a whole lot of sin, like past, present, future. Uh, and that was paid by the Son of God, God in the flesh. Mm-hmm. If, if it was that amount of sin, then, you know, only God could rightfully pay for that. And he can rightfully pay for it because he didn't need saving from it. Mm-hmm. Because he was perfect. Yeah. We can't, I can't die for the sins of any of you guys because I am in the same need of saving as any of you are. You got your own sin to die for. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, I mean, it's, so we, we've established that, you know, God needs the payment because we sin against God. So God needs the payment. But then God, the Son, is incarnate in Jesus. And I think we need to be careful about saying God needed it. I don't mean that in the sense that, you know, there's some outside thing called justice that no, no. required God to do it. Mm-hmm. It's if God doesn't get recompense for sin, he's not the God we talk about. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, he's not a God of justice, for example. Yeah, and like, I wouldn't want to serve a God that wasn't just. Well, I mean, you you would you would very much not want to. I mean, that God would definitionally be evil, because it would be a God who would you know just allow evil to run rampant, and you know, contrary to what we believe, not fix it in the end. Yeah, essentially not. And I think that's kind of a an important point too, because eschatologically speaking, in mm-hmm. the end of time. The fact is, there is no such thing as an evil that goes unpunished. Nope. Mm-hmm. It's all dealt with. Yeah. Um, 
I, I don't know if it's a good uh, a good thing to a good image, but I I remember at the end of Romeo and Juliet, um, the guy Paris, the mayor of the town, says the phrase "All are punished," mm-hmm. and that's how it kind of makes it look for, with the two innocent. Uh, Children who died to bring reconciliation between the uh, the the Montagues and the Capulets, um, but there had to be the blood shed to do this because all needed to be punished. There had to be something whereby the justice for all of the evil that had been wrought between these two families had to be paid somehow, right. and so that you know we were all deserving of punishment. We're all deserving to, you know, get what we deserve. But Jesus died in our place, that penal substitutionary atonement, in our place, so that we wouldn't have to. Yeah, and, and that, that actually may, changes the symbol of the cross, because the cross then isn't just a symbol of forgiveness. It's also a symbol of justice at the same time, which mm-hmm. would be weird. I mean... The fact is, it's not, God is not merely loving. God is loving and just, and that's shown through the cross. And that's, that's the thing, is that I think a lot of people try to separate the idea of justice and love, yet love is really only, only understood in the context of justice, Yeah. Um, biblically speaking. I mean, that's what, you know, First John 4 says. I think we've read it out before, and everybody loves the verse, you know, um, Sorry, I'm just finding to hear the specific. Come more prepared, Dave. <laughs> hey, it's open. I just need to find the. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, here we go. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Yeah, yeah I mean, that's that's fantastic because, again, it puts it, it puts that in proper order and context that, you know, this didn't happen because we love God. It's not like we love you guys so much, and the guys like, well, you know, because you love me, I'll, I'll do this for you. No, God loved us first before we ever loved Him, and that's why He did it. And then, th- then we also have the essence mixed in with His love and the justice, is the wrath that was poured out on Christ. Yeah, and so all of this is actually symbolized in the cross at the same time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We're not left with thinking that God is unjust. We're not left thinking that God is impotent against evil we're not uh, which by the way is an answer that some people give to the ex- existence of evil in the world that god is impotent to deal with it the cross shows god can and does deal with evil mm-hmm. and that he can do it while loving those upon whom he would set his mercy so we have god requiring justice mm-hmm. god the son you know coming and dying but then god's wrath also being bared by god yes yeah and it's good that you said it that way Mm -hmm. because there's there was this guy steve chalk in the in the uk who had the who had the stupidest phrase where he would say (laughs) uh you know this is just divine child abuse and no jesus isn't just the son he's also god Exactly. So it's God bearing God's own wrath. And this is why it is such a great definition of what loving really is, because Jesus, like, this wasn't just, oh, crap, Jesus drew the short end of the stick. Now he's the one who's got to come. This was a fully, you know, Trinitarian plan Mm -hmm. 
to redeem sinners that, you know, Christ loved us enough fully knowing what was going to come. Yeah. Fully knowing the cross was going to come. And it's important to note that it's in fact also Trinitarian because this isn't like what you see in the weird memes, the, the weird atheist memes talking about, oh, so you're saying that God paid God for God's sin. No, no. God is not some kind of, you know, uh, I don't know, schizophrenic entity. Yeah. <laughs> it, yeah. God actually is Trini- is in three persons. And so God the Son paid for the wrath required by the justice of God at the behest of God the Father and mm-hmm. empowered by God the Holy Spirit. It's not, it's not this kind of war within the Godhead, mm-hmm. nor is it just God being schizophrenic. Yeah, it was, it was all within unity. It's not like God is saying, you know what, you're my son. I think you should go die for these people. And you're not going to get any say in it. No, like it was, quote, like planned within themselves. They were all in unity in this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, it says in the Bible, God, uh, Jesus says, I laid down my life. No one takes no it one from takes me. No one takes it. Yeah. I loved, um, it was in one of my school lectures. I think, I'm pretty sure it was Ray Ortland. He talked about, he was kind of talking about some kind of similar subject on the cross. And he was like, there's, uh, on the left side here, here's us being mad and rotted about, you know, that we don't get this or that and kind of being upset and throwing a temper tantrum most of the time about how life sucks or whatever. But then on this other side, on the right side, here's the Trinity planning our eternal happiness for all of time through, you know, the salvation of Christ through the cross. And it was just a, I mean, he did a lot better job, I guess I'll explain it than that. But it was, it was just a really like, we we often just so don't even think about it or just like are busy not setting our gaze upon the beauty of salvation, the beauty of the cross, the beauty of Christ coming to die for us. And we're just kind of throwing a temper tantrum. Yet God is there in amongst himself planning yeah. our happiness, planning our relationship, you know, saving us. And yeah, it's just incredible. Yeah, I mean, we have that, you know, juxta- juxtaposition of the horrendous of the cross the, the, the brutalness of the cross mixed with what the redemption that's actually taking place yeah that beauty that's in that's in christ bearing our punishment that's in christ bearing god's wrath and then offering us free salvation if we just simply place our faith in him right like it the cross yeah it it can be a stumbling block, as Paul wrote. It can be seen as foolishness, but in that foolishness is something beautiful and something eternal. And that's how God chose or decided, or however you want to put it, to solve an issue that we have been plagued with, yeah. that we have brought on ourselves, and to bring his children back into right relationship with him. And of course, all of this is symbolized. At the same, and this is why the cross is such a great symbol for mm-hmm. Christianity, why we would use it as our symbol. Because so far we've uh, dealt with a whole bunch of really deep, really important parts of Christian theology, and it's all symbolized by the cross. We've talked mm-hmm. here about the justice of God. We've talked here about the goodness of God. We've talked here about the love of God. Mm-hmm. We've talked about uh, our salvation by, uh, by grace alone, wrought solely by God. 
we're ta- we're talk- we've talked about how it shows the work of the Trinity in working to save his people. And all of this is symbol- symbolized by a simple, well, T-shape. Mm-hmm. And we have more we can add to it. I mean, we can talk about the mercy of, the, the mercy of God, you know, yeah. not getting what we do deserve. Mm-hmm. That that's found in the cross. We can talk about how God is slow to anger, yep. or and no. that He is waiting for all those who you know to to come to Him who will. Mm-hmm. Or another one. I, I love this verse in Second Corinthians five. A lot of people have probably heard it before. Verse twenty one: For our sake He made Him to be sin, which is kind of what we've mm-hmm. talked about. Who knew no sin? But then there's also the flip side of that, which the cross also has, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. So there's even the aspect of, well, he bore our sins, but it's not just that we're left neutral, but it's even better than that, that we actually receive Christ's righteousness when we put our faith in him. And and that is, and when we think about it, that's incredible because God then sees us as he would see his own son. And of course, added to this, it it adds to the fact that all of this is for the glory of God ultimately, like... Because mm-hmm. it's not about us, in a real sense. We are saved, we are redeemed, we are atoned, but the grand total of stuff we did for this is nothing. Absolutely mm-hmm. nothing. God yep. God required justice. God the Son came incarnate in the flesh and died and then bore God's wrath. I don't see any human humanity involved there. Yeah. Well, Except the only thing that we provide to God's gospel being done here is we're the recipients. That's it. My entire role in the entirety of my salvation is being a hapless victim of God's desire to save me. Oh no, God, please don't save me. <laughs> Well, should, please do, please do. <laughs> but, but just to drive this whole, well, I mean, this, again, this is just kind of a single verse. But even in First John two twelve, a passage um, that I preach from, when he when he goes off on the, almost this little poetry run, he says, "I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for His name's sake." Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not even it's not your sins are forgiven for you, for His name's sake. Well, how many times do we read in the Psalms where, like, like let's take David for example. He's, he's praying to God, and he said, God, for your name's sake, so that the other nations know that, you know, who you are. Like, save your people because of who you are. Not not for our sake, but because you are slow to anger, because you are compassionate, because you are full of mercy, because of you, please save us, have mercy on us. Yeah. Or, and then, oh, sorry. Sorry, I was just going to say Psalm 23. He leads me in paths of righteousness, again, for his name's sake. Yeah. Another great example. Go ahead, Steve. Yeah, I was I was just going to say, too, I mean, this is all done by God. I mean, the Protestant reformers used to use, uh, well, they didn't used to use it. We've kind of formulated it later, um, that God, uh, that the point of the entirety of this is that we are saved by grace alone, symbolized in the cross. Mm-hmm through faith alone, symbolized in the cross, uh, according to, uh, in Christ alone, on the cross, cross. according to scripture alone, as evidenced by what's said about scripture, about the cross, to the glory of God alone. Again, 
symbolized on the cross. Yeah, I gotta wonder sometimes, like if if you're listening to this and you've you know you've just looked at the cross and like, oh yeah, no, that's Christian. Like, you know, I would challenge you to think a little harder about what that means. And I hope this you know has opened your eyes a little bit to how deep and rich what happened on the cross and what it can represent and like what it actually means for us. And I hope mm-hmm. you I hope you take that in. And just sorry, one more thing, Adam, too, like. If you heard us talking about, because when we talked about a lot of pretty big theological things, that could probably be all individual episodes by themselves. So if you heard us talking about something and you're thinking, man, I'd like to hear more about that, you know, whether or not it's God's love, God's justice, how those things are connected, you know, the idea of receiving Christ's righteousness, whatever it might be, mm-hmm. um, let us know. We'd love to hear from you. Yeah, can, you can contact us on our Model Mission Facebook page, on Twitter, or it, any of us personally, if you know us, yeah. feel free to reach out. And we'll even take questions and and criticisms and deal with them if if that's if that's your desire. Yeah. Yeah. We're a bunch of sinners. We're not always right. Yeah, not always. Maybe at ninety eight percent. Well, Steve's Steve's probably ninety eight percent. Steve's almost infallible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's the remaining. It, it's the remaining ninety eight percent that's fallible. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So thank you very much for listening. I uh, hope you enjoyed our episode on the cross. Look forward to more episodes on this topic. And again, if you heard anything you want to hear more about, uh, don't be afraid to reach out to us and let us know. You have been listening to Rugged Theology. Rugged Theology is a podcast of Mile One Mission. If you'd like to know more about Mile One Mission and our work in Newfoundland, please visit us at www.mileonemission.ca.